Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Maggie Mutesi and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Ladies and gents, we are back again with another banging episode of the Weekly Beat broadcast slash podcast. Thank you for tuning in and uh, really, really appreciate all your time. I am Dumi Jerry coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. There's a lot that's going on in South Africa. And today we want to talk about that. And to have this conversation with me, the ever so gracious Maggie Omotesi from, uh, well, in Dakar, Senegal. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic, Dumi. Nice. How is Joburg? Too many things are happening in Joburg. Let's start with the <laughs> weather. The weather... <laughs> It's been raining and raining and raining, like, oh man, and very cold. I think, let me put it that way. Speaking of rain, I think uh, there's been way too much rain in one region called uh, KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, so it's, well, we, short, we usually shorten it as KZN. Mm. So this has resulted in floods now and mudslides and destruction of property, infrastructure, that is so sad. I've been seeing on the news and it's devastating to see how much is lost in this disaster. And do me for me, it always tickles around, do actually governments prepare for such disaster? Like, is there a budget in case something like this happened? How do you rebuild? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you remember the cycling that we had in Malawi and yes, um, yes. neighboring countries, and a lot of people, you know, went hungry for years. There's what two million people farmers uh, who couldn't um, do agriculture anymore how do you rebuild from that i honestly think not a lot of countries particularly developed countries yeah. can and have the resources the yeah. i mean to properly budget for a natural disaster happening because mm. the damage is not something that you can foresee so it could be 1 billion cost of repair or it could be 100 billion so you never quite know, like, and I think uh, that's where probably the um, the issue is, and why so many African governments then find themselves in a situation where they are not fully prepared. Mm. Uh, when I look at the cyclones or the um, uh, what do they call these hurricanes that hit United States of America, like there is ample evacuation notices. Yeah. People are told you need to evacuate. There's going to be a storm that's coming, yeah. and you see them on the news, like busy, uh, sort of like trying to blockade their homes and putting mm-hmm. wood and so on and so forth. That's you know preparation, right? But um, I didn't hear anything about an evacuation in KZN, and yeah, I guess it's something that makes me wonder, like if there's something that's really dedicated for uh, disaster prevention before it happens, what, what, what it is that we're doing. I don't know, maybe one of the startups can actually come up with something. Isn't that like an investment opportunity? Like, I mean, we have insurance and all of that. But yeah. I, I know there is an organization called the Africa Risk Capacity and what yeah. they do is actually mitigate things like that. Yeah. Uh, work um, closely with governments. Maybe at some point we really need to uh, do a podcast with them, uh, work with governments closely to be able to prepare in advance because you're talking about people left out of jobs, but you're also talking about destruction of the highest level, a lot of money lost, which 
ultimately you have to rebuild, you have to put back the infrastructure and all of that. So, yeah, maybe that's something to think about it, about doing in a private sector perspective. Um, how do you also, because, you know, like we already see um, biggest economies have been built by the business community, yeah. the private sector, much as the government has done a lot. Yes. They've put incentives on a lot mm. to rotate. Like in this case, what do you do? Yeah, um, I think for me, the thing that worries me the most is um, how yeah. Durban, well, because the city of Durban is within KZN, right? Uh, and Durban is probably the biggest hub in South Africa. So most of the ship that, uh, ships that come through mm. or leave the country depart from that, from that port, from that area. So it has resulted in a lot of disruption to the supply chain. As we speak right now, there are fewer shortages that have sort of started in neighboring Eswatini. And wow. that's because Eswatini relies on the fuel that comes from South Africa, from Durban. Yeah. And so it, the ripple effect, it then goes on and on and on. The president actually had to cancel his trip. He was scheduled to be in uh, Saudi Arabia. President Ramaphosa, that is. Yeah. He was scheduled to be in Saudi Arabia, but he had to cancel that trip to focus on the recovery of his country, saving lives, uh, and so on and so forth. Really, really, really sad. And one of the things that gets affected with things like this is um, the supply of um, electricity. So because of that and other things and the rain as well, South Africa again finds itself in a situation where there's load shedding. As we are talking, you and I right now, we are in the middle of load shed right now. Again, while it's a problem, it's actually an opportunity as well, I guess, because the problems in South Africa around electricity are predominantly because we're using outdated structures or outdated infrastructure mm. to generate electricity. And we're using coal. So when it rains so much, then the coal is wet, can be used, and so on and so forth, mm. which leads to uh, mm. a conversation around renewable energy. Energy, yeah. How then do we capitalize on that? Or not, not, not necessarily capitalize, but how then do we relieve pressure from the current system and put, put you know, uh, things in place around renewable energy uh, so that, you know, we diversify this thing? Um, mm. You sometimes spend time in uh, Rwanda, in Kenya. Those are also folks that have done quite a bit on the solar front. So what do you think South Africa can learn from that? Or how can South Africa go about it? I think as if we talk about that, you forgot also one problem, the theft uh, Eskom talks about. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm joking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you make a very good point. I think progressively, we're seeing countries move to renewable energies, yeah. clean technology, countries, you know, moving to off-grids, you know, solar everything, you name it. And we've had this chat even before, I think, around how we could be having an advantage because when we talk about wind or sun, I mean, this is something we're having plenty. But I think also the conversation around renewables should come with investment into the sector. Mm -hmm. There is so much investment needed, uh, especially to be able to make that transition we are looking at countries, even until now, having been able to provide electricity uh, with the coal that they have to their citizens. Mm. 
Now, moving the conversation to renewables where you need technologies to be able to to harness this is also another conversation. Do we have the money? Uh, how long is it going to take to make the transition? Mm. And I think this is where the big question comes in. Are we ready or is this just a chat we are having because the rest of the world is moving towards that? I've seen a lot of companies um, stepping up in uh, Rwanda and Kenya, big companies mm. that I would love to mention, but, you know, they haven't sponsored. So yeah, they got to pay first. Uh, I know <laughs> a lot of those big companies that are trying to make big, big moves in, uh, you know, in East Africa, for example. Yeah. Um, but do me, it all comes back to investment. Mm. I mean, we need solar. Mm-hmm. We need to light up our homes. We are desperate for that. Mm. The question is where are the investors and why are they not scaling up? Because also renewable energy, you know, if you're going to give solar to people, you... There's a lot that comes with that. I think beyond just the investment and capacity and, you know, the right technologies to do that, you need to scale up, Mm. you know, how to use, you know, there are lots of technicalities, I would think so. But I think it's high time that we actually uh, realized that the only way to light up the 600 million Africans that still have no access Mm. to electricity is to actually move to clean technology yeah. and use what we already have an advantage yeah. on. But, you know, we need the right investment in terms of amount of investment. Mm. We need the right technologies yeah. to also be able to do that. But for the sake of South Africa, it's an advanced economy. You know, South Africa, you know, um, I feel like you should even be leading at this front. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, on the one hand... We can't even be scared to talk about it anymore. There's so much corruption that goes on in this country. Mm. Uh, Sometimes that Mm. deters investments. But really, uh, folks need to look at this from a climate change perspective. Um, Well, it doesn't really happen that you receive so much of rainfall that results in floods in April. So Mm. all of these are the results of climate pattern, global warming and all of those things. So there's a great need for us to shift and uh, change the way we live so that we also do our bit for the earth. And one of those ways is moving to renewable energy. There's lots of money that's floating around waiting to be put into projects like this. What's lacking, though, is sometimes the direction from government, from a policy perspective. Uh, And this is not only a South African problem, honestly. It sometimes extends to many, many, many other countries across our continent. And so we need uh, a different policy perspective, uh, one that fosters uh, growth and uh, supports more investors and like essentially make life simple for those that want to come in uh, with those investments. But uh, sometimes there are certain rules or policies that are put in place, and it's almost like a double-edged sword because the policies are meant to stimulate the local economy. But then the local economy can't kickstart on its own without sometimes the participation of the foreign uh, direct investors. So um, it, I guess it just calls for a relook at what are these policies saying and how best can they support the ultimate agenda that you know uh, a country is trying to achieve. Yeah, South Africa is really not catching a break. If it's not floods, it's load shedding. If it's not load shedding, there's xenophobic violence. Yeah, that xenophobic story is also another sad story, especially when we are talking about 
into Africa investment mm-hmm. or into Africa mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, you can't feel safe in a country yeah. within Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is another story to touch on Dumi. And I mean, it's really sad. I don't know what you make of it. I mean, what was it? Was it last last episode or the episode before? I mean, we were talking about DRC being inducted, for lack of a better word, into, into the, the um, East mm-hmm. African community. And one of the major points that we raised around that was you cannot have free trade if there's no free movement of people. So all of that needs to start with mm-hmm. people. And free movement of people should then be followed by, you know, uh, guarantees of, you know, relative safety, that you are safe, your goods are safe, your investments are safe, all of that. I do not wish to be the president of South Africa right now. <laughs> um, I would be so stressed because on the one hand, he is, I mean, he is coming out and hitting the correct tunes and saying no, but we should not victimize our fellow African brothers. But I don't think the people on the ground are quite hearing his message. And that just leaves him in a tight position. So one moment, on the other side, you're trying to fight your, your citizens that are um, trying to push this xenophobic agenda. Uh, on the other side, you're trying to make sure that, you know, your other citizens in, uh, in, in, I mean, affected by the floods are taken care of. Like, ooh, so many moving pieces. I really do not wish to be him. But um, look, at the end of the yeah. day, we are all one people, honestly. I always say these borders mm. were drawn uh, by some people that were sitting in some Berlin country. <laughs> I don't even know what Berlin is. <laughs> yeah, they, they drew the borders and then they came to us and told us that, right, this, you are now part of this one. This is you how you're supposed part. to live. Yeah. You belong here and you belong there. Exactly. But even it doesn't make sense the then. I mean, place. for example, yeah. if we go back to that DRC story, who we went about how yeah. uh, Kiswahili is spoken in almost all of these countries. You go to Kenya, you go to Tanzania, you go to Uganda, there's a version of Kiswahili that you hear and people can communicate. So surely all these people are one. It's only, the only difference is now that they have different passports and different IDs. But look, yeah. um, I've always believed that, hey, the president wants to do the right thing uh, for his country. Uh, of course, he's battling so many factors that, yeah, well, that's, it comes with the mm-hmm. job, right? But... Um, the sooner yeah. that uh, government, um, you know, adjusts its policies to support better and uh, the sooner that government uh, as well as private sector find each other, the better it is from an the investment better. perspective. Uh, but as we always say, look, yes, there can be problems, but problems are also opportunities. So I think that's the best way to look at it. People just need to be open to the opportunities that exist Absolutely. in the current uh, turmoil, I guess. And I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, Maggie. Yeah. But as always, it's always a pleasure talking anything and everything Africa with you. Uh, <laughs> my learned sister, I always Same learn here. a lot from you, actually. Thank you, folks, uh, for tuning in to this uh, broadcast. Truly, truly appreciate. Uh, to the team behind the scenes, really, really also appreciate. Uh, couldn't have done any of this without uh, all of y'all. And um, we're going to be back next week with another episode. Who knows what we're touching on? Hey, there's always lots of things happening on our beautiful <laughs> continent. We will never leave anyway. So, hey, um, there will always live lots of stories to talk about. And folks, please uh, log on to our website, um, Um for more news that you may have missed. And also, please subscribe to our uh, opinion piece that comes out uh, every Friday morning, the third opinion. 
uh, where we give you snippets of uh, issues that are happening around the world, but that have an impact on our beautiful continent. We are also on TikTok. So on that note, I am Dumi Jere. Until the next time, here's to peace and profit. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Maggie Mutesi and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.